Greg, Greg, I'm, look, I just I need to take a moment and just admonish Hollywood, okay? Because they're garbage people. Oh, oh no, <laughs> John, you'd be the only source on the internet that's that's doing this. Okay, it's holding uh, truth to power. <laughs> I was in this case, a bunch of uh, old white executives making movies for two hundred million dollars. I was I was just you know perusing the internet, perusing YouTube, and a bunch of trailers came up, and there's a trailer for a new Robin Hood movie. Are you kidding me? Hollywood, John, John they're good. Stop it. They're going to lose the rights. They're going to lose the rights. They're going to lose the rights to Robin Hood if they don't make a movie now. Yes. I know it's been 8 years since the last one. <laughs> the last gritty reboot with Russell Crowe. Anybody remember that? No. Okay. Who okay. okay, so last year it was King Arthur and then the year before that was Tarzan. It's like stop it. Okay? Stop trying to take these like boring properties no one cares about and making gritty reboots, okay? And I think the year before that it was like Frankenstein. It's like what the fuck? Stop it. <laughs> Like, what is the thought process behind this? The thought process is, um, I believe, critic Mark Harris, and I don't want to steal this, but the idea is it's a bunt. Mm. They're not swinging for the fences. This is the safe, conventional choice, just so they can't be fired. Because as, I'm going to quote somebody else, as William Goldman famously coined, nobody knows anything. Okay. <laughs> I mean, John, do you have a do you have a million-dollar you know, movie? A million-dollar, billion-dollar franchise rolling around your head right now? No, <laughs> you do don't. Do I ever. Do I ever. Captain Fantastic conquers the Marshmallow Kingdom. <laughs> All right, let me give you the pitch. It kind of loses a, it loses a little bit in the seventh act, but it really picks up in the eighth. Okay, here we go. <laughs> well, if John, if you recall, last week we talked about the Divine Nine. I mean, clearly that's that's the next big hit western. <laughs> and there have been so many big western hits in the last ten years. Oh, so of course, everyone loves this. It's the genre to go to. It's yeah. Hollywood gold, gold, <laughs> gold. <laughs> That's a little teaser for what we're talking about today. But, John, before I do that... Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, Greg Greg wanted to talk about something. Yeah, I wanted to get to one news item. John, you read the blog Birth, Death, Movies... Or, no, sorry, <laughs> that's a terrible title. <laughs> Birth, Movies, Death, right? Yes, run by the Alamo Draft House, which has just a sterling reputation. Women love it. Women love it everywhere. Yeah, the snitch theater, <laughs> as I like to call it. But, um, John, it used to be run by a, a wonderful man named Devin Faraci. You're familiar with Devin Faraci and his oeuvre, are you not? <laughs> sure, it was like uh, Harry Knowles, but more palatable. <laughs> and like Harry Knowles, um, somehow, despite his uh, just oozing masculinity, couldn't get the women that he desired, <sighs> so uh, resorted to sexual assault and intimidation. Mm-hmm. So he was uh, subsequently fired. But John, he's making a comeback, like Charlie Rose. He, <laughs> he desperately wants to, wants to regain his reputation and his status as one of the premier movie bloggers of our generation. Finally, finally. Yes. Has Me Too gone so far? <laughs> too far. <laughs> well, and John, he's doing it because he's found religion. I don't know if you knew this. Oh boy. Yes. So he opened a new blog, Cinema Sangha, film from an occasionally Buddhist perspective. Okay. <laughs> Reading from the description here, in Buddhism, teachings are given for free because they are considered priceless. Dana is the Pali word for the generosity given back to support those offering these teachings. And then he has a link to the Patreon page. Wow. Interesting. So, yeah, so John, he's got a brand new perspective on movies mm. uh, from a Buddhist perspective. Do you want to sample some of the headlines we have here? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> what, what is his hot take on Robin Hood? I want to hear the Buddhist hot take on Robin Hood. <laughs> Well, he hasn't talked to... John, it's not out till this fall, so... Oh, okay. He doesn't have... <laughs> he's got he's to build up some uh, some backlog first before he actually releases his blog. Yeah. And uh, in this case, here's the, here's one headline. It's time to stop complaining about Marvel movies. Oh. Let's, guys, yep. let's just be present and just enjoy the Marvel movies. Yeah. <laughs> John, here's a, here's a philosophical one. Is Netflix releasing too many movies? <laughs> I believe it was the Bodhisattva who once said. (laughs) (laughs) 
But John, what do you, what do you think uh, uh, the Dara teaching would be for this this headline? Captain America: colon, The First Avenger re-review. <laughs> Ooh. Well, <laughs> I can't even think of any like Hindu Eastern religion nonsense anymore to make that work. I don't get it. You know what? I'll probably check it out. I, I like Devin Frost. <laughs> you would. Shut I'll up. probably check it out. I'll, I'll give it a curse. You're hopeless. You're hopeless. Look, yeah. look, look. I like his writing. I'll be honest. I think he's a pretty insightful guy. I mean, he might be a terrible no, person, oh, yeah. but who, who isn't? Who isn't? <laughs> oh, pretty insightful. Hey, Marvel movies are great. <laughs> Get your oven mitts ready for that hot take. <laughs> Secure your monocles to your to your eyebrows, and just in case it pops out at the idea of like, hey, these Marvel movies pretty good. Hey, I mean, we'll probably end up talking about one by the end of this episode, so... Oh, will we? Ooh, yes. A little tease for you people. Get ready for our review of Thor Ragnarok <laughs> after this. <laughs> I finally got around to seeing Thor The Dark World. I hope I'm not too far behind. <laughs> yeah. Did you hear at the end they have Infinity Stones? I, I didn't, didn't hear about this. Yeah. Oh, they teased Thanos again. Yep. I wonder what kind of villain he'll be. <laughs> anyway... Anyway, John, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about gold. <laughs> gold! Because <laughs> this month, it's Western month. And so we're getting our hats tipped and getting our mules, and we're setting out to the prospecting land. We're going to find us some gold. That's right, ma'am. And, John, what movie are we watching this week? This week, we're catching up with Treasure of Sierra Madre. You know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking we ought to give up. Leave the whole outfit. Have everything behind and go back to civilization. What's that you say? Go back? Ha <laughs> Well, tell my old grandmother. I got two very elegant bedfellows who kick at the first drop of rain and hide in the closet from thunder rumbles. My, 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 what great prospectors. Two shoe clerks reading the magazine about prospecting for gold in the land in the midnight sun, south of the border or west of the Rockies. <laughs> Shut your trap. Shut up, Ross. Smash your head flat. Go ahead. Go ahead. Throw it. If you did, you'd never leave this wilderness alive. Without me, you two would die here more miserable than rats. I'll leave him alone. <laughs> Can't you see if the old man's nuts? <laughs> nuts! Nuts, am I? Ha. Let me tell you something, my two fine bedfellows. You're so dumb, there's nothing to compare you with. You're dumber than the dumbest jackass. Look at each other, will you? Do you ever see anything like yourself from being dumb specimens? <laughs> You're so dumb, you don't even see the riches you're treading on with your own feet. <laughs> All right, that's enough. Thank you. <laughs> nope, I'm going to do the rest of the podcast like this, even when we start talking about the Avengers. You heard about this Iron Man? <laughs> He's like a man, made, a man of iron. made of iron. <laughs> and not and not like Toothy Joe with his with his metal with his steel legs. All <laughs> peaches. John, what what did you know of the Treasure of Sierra Madre before you watched it for the first time? Well, I knew it was an absolute classic, which is why we had to eventually revisit it. And I knew it was the origin of the classic line: "Badges, badges. We don't need no badges. We don't need no stinking badges." And that's pretty much all I knew about it. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting what, what kind of burbles up to the top of pop culture. Because mm-hmm. um, you and I aren't just film critics. We're also scientists. <laughs> okay, that's very generous, but go on. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, I wanted to just experiment on why this movie has gained its reputation. Because this is my second time seeing it. And I'm still not quite seeing that kind of classic status. Um, I think it does, like, when I was looking up movies we could potentially do for Western Month. I was kind of surprised that this one kept coming up because, again, granted, I didn't know that much about it, but I didn't really think it had, like, the kind of 
uh, qualifiers of a Western. Granted, I didn't know that much about it. And I think maybe because it is kind of playing with those tropes a bit and kind of like counter-programming to your traditional quote-unquote Western or movie that takes place in the Wild West. Maybe that's why it has the reputation it has. Like, not a single character rides a horse in this movie. So there's that. <laughs> no, they got their burros. Yeah. They got their donkeys. And, you know, one of the things we always talk about when we talk about Westerns and uh, the American ideal and the fascination with the Wild West is that a man can go out and become anything. And where does this yeah. movie start? It starts with a homeless man. Humphrey Bogart <laughs> is playing a homeless man. <laughs> He literally had, you know, big dreams, big aspirations to go out and, you know, make a man of himself on the Wild West, and clearly he failed spectacularly. Well, spoiler, <laughs> come on. <laughs> spoiler, it's the opening scene. I know, okay. Treat a, oh, treat right, a, Ameri- a fellow American to a meal. So, yeah, the film opens. It's it's a pretty clear morality. It not only, you're, you're right, not only is it kind of dispelling the notion of a lone Avenger mm-hmm. making something of himself out in the, uh, out on the frontier, but also... It's it's a pretty clear morality play. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's about it's about uh, greed, American greed. Yeah, <laughs> which uh, surprisingly comes down hard on greed. <laughs> I, I I was amazed by that. Wait, you're telling me greed is not good? It's like we've learned nothing from Gordon Gecko. I know. It's like he wasn't. It's like he wasn't something to emulate. He was the hero of the movie, wasn't he? I wasn't paying yeah. that close attention. <laughs> uh, from the clips I've seen on YouTube, yeah, I would I would assume. <laughs> But yeah, you're right, and one of the other reasons why I wanted to revisit it is because uh, supposedly one of our favorite directors, Paul Thomas Anderson, watched this movie every day while filming uh, There Will Be Blood, <laughs> a true great American classic. And yep. so uh, you do see a bit of parallels, not too many, because again, they're very different movies, but again, they're yeah. both playing with this idea that it's greed is an all-consuming force that destroys the human soul. Yeah. And uh, speaking of influence, apparently Humphrey Bogart's character was also a primary inspiration for Indiana Jones. Mm, yes. When Steven Spielberg and George Lucas were conceiving that character, so. Mm-hmm. But John, I've already given my impression. I mean, again, I think it's a, I think it's a well done movie. I'm not sure if it, it really transcends the genre or, or any kind of like a example of American cinema. But what, what did you think? I, 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 I think I'm in agreement. I, it's a very, very good movie. Obviously, John Huston is the director, and he's very talented, and mm-hmm. obviously there's awesome talent on display. You've got Humphrey Bogart, and you've got uh, Wayne Houston. Is that his father? He cast his father. Walter, Walter Houston Sorry, is his Walter father's Houston. name. Yeah, he's, he cast his own father as kind of a supporting role, who kind of... The scene stealer. Yeah, he kind of starts off as like a comic relief, but then kind of develops into his own, you know, very interesting character, and... I I I kept wondering like did this movie kind of cement that you know stereotypical idea of prospector or was that always kind of like that did we always have this idea that prospectors were like oh these crazy old kooks oh there's gold in these mountains or was it him you know no, when I, he started doing his little jig like hee hee <laughs> yeah that's I think this movie was the progenitor of that particular stereotype okay. But but yeah, just because yeah, it is a scene stealing performance, just like uh, how quick his dialogue is and how snappy until he becomes a literal mentor and well, no, and that's uh, the other thing. Again, he's like a, a, he's, voice he's of, a, a voice of reason and conscience. Yeah, he's a comic relief character, but he's also the the conscious of the group. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite scenes early on in the movie is that they all come to agreement that they're going to go into the hills and try to find gold. And Hobbs and Dobbs is played by Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, uh, Dobbs and Curtin, they kind of shake hands. And the way it's framed, you see just their hands. And you see Howard, uh, Walter Houston, just kind of like right in between them. And he doesn't mug too much, but you can tell on his face, he's like, I've been here before. Because again, he knows mm-hmm. how the story ends. The two are eventually going to turn on each other, and greed is going to get the better of them. Yeah, I, I will say, though, 
from the early point, what what I don't like about the movie is that it is so mechanical in getting in arriving to that point. Mm-hmm. Like none of these guys. So it is an expedition of these three guys: Dobbs, Curtin, and Howard. Mm-hmm. And they don't really have an interior life or really any ambitions. There's one scene where they talk about the what are we going to do after you know we collect all our gold and cash in. Yeah. But other than that, they don't really have a, an internal life at all. They don't really have any kind of outside motivation or anything of the, or anything of that nature. There is another character who kind of interlopes on their excursion out to this gold country, mm-hmm. and he and there's a little bit of backstory with him. But otherwise, there, there's really nothing to these characters, so they're a little unsympathetic to me. Um, I and I think that's kind of the point. I mean, especially Dobbs. I mean, he's kind of like a cool customer, and obviously he's played by Humphrey yeah. Bogart, so we naturally just kind of want to root for him. But obviously, again, the whole arc of the movie is his descent into madness literally like by the end of the movie his face is all dirty and he's got this scraggly beard he's just he's more beast he's talking to himself yeah he's more beast than man yes yes first thing i'll do is dig a hole and then i'll put the gold in it and then i'll be the only one who knows where it is so yeah they're very unsympathetic and i i do get your point that it's like they don't really have internal lives but again that's kind of the point they're supposed to be this there's this idea that they're going to be self-made like it doesn't matter how our lives were before we found the gold all that matters is we find the gold and then we live the way we want i i guess but and i I, think it also we do see their lives before that and again they're just uh we see we're introduced to dobbs Mm -hmm. humphrey bogart and curtin played by tim holt um who's also in stagecoach so that's our connection between the two movies (laughs) also they're both westerns so thank you yeah that's well that too (laughs) on the surface you know okay but they're destitute at the very beginning, and yeah, just kind of trying to scrape by a living. But again, like I, I wish, I wish we had seen something else that's driving them other than just basic survival. Mm. And again, like we see, there's there's a very instructive scene at the very beginning where they get cheated out of like a week's labor. Yeah, exactly. And they confront this uh, this old rich baron, you know, who, who refuses, to, who won't pay them uh, a, f- a fair or wage. Or at least, you know, finds excuses as like, why don't I go get the money? You wait here. I'll go get the money, yeah. and I'll be right back. In fact, I'll meet you at this bar in two hours. And then you see the clock. Five yeah. hours have passed. And he hasn't arrived. But uh, they do confront him. They beat him up. Um, oh, well, no, actually, no, he gets yeah. the upper hand first. I loved that scene. It's like they confront yeah. him, you know, they're, they're getting ready, and then he just kicks the crap out of both of them. <laughs> Yeah, it's it. Well, it's very odd. His plan, the rich baron, his plan is to get them liquored up so they'll forget about the money again. Mm-hmm. However, when it's clear that they're that they're not going to, they demand payment now. The the baron decides, I'll punch my way out of this <laughs> one. Exactly. And he tries to take on these two young guys, and uh, initially has the upper hand until they uh, they um, rightfully subdue him. But then they open up his wallet and they get their week's pay. And there's so much, there's hundreds in there, but they, they leave him the rest of his money. So that's very instructive that they're that they're not greedy at this point. They're not consumed by it at this point. Well, no, and that's the thing. It's like, it's a very episodic movie, and mm-hmm. it's kind of this push and pull, this back and forth. They keep getting confronted with these opportunities to kind of get the upper hand, to kind of get more of their share, to be selfish. And sometimes they take it, sometimes they don't. Well, boys, I suppose you're wondering about that money that's coming to you. The fact is, I haven't been paid off on that contract yet myself. If I had the money, you'd get it first thing, you know that. I'll put you both on my next contract. It'll come through by Monday, and we can set out Friday. Here's mud in your eye. We want what's coming to us, and we want it right here and now. Well, didn't I just get through telling you that... You better come across, Pat. 
Well, boys, I tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll give you 25%. I guess I can make it 30%. And the balance, say, the middle of next week, huh? Nothing doing right here and now. Every cent you owe us or you won't walk out of here. You'll have to be carried out. Oh, now, let's don't stop being friends. How about another drink? Two more brandies for the gentleman. Put the bottle on the bar. Have you got any ideas about getting us liquored up? Oh, no. I'm just inviting you to have a friendly drink with me. The other big scene is the mine collapse. So uh, mm -hmm. Dobbs has been digging in the mine and eventually it collapses. Howard is off somewhere else and he sees what's happened. And, you know, he kind of debates for a minute. It's like, wait. Kurt, Curtin has seen what happened. Yeah, Curtin has yeah. seen what's happened. That's what I meant. And, uh, you know, he mm -hmm. sees what's happened and he kind of debates for a little bit. It's like, do I save him? Because if he's dead here, I could take his share. And, you know, oh, it was a freak accident. There was no saving him. But then he thinks better of it and does save him. And you'd think that it would, you know, add a little more camaraderie between them. But again, it still just kind yeah. of descends from there. Their friendship dissolves and eventually the greed gets the better of them. Yeah, that particular scene I didn't understand because uh, Curtin in particular isn't very well characterized. He's a strong silent type. Like I, yeah, think, exactly. I think he has, he scarcely has like 15 lines in this movie. Well, when you're acting against Humphrey Bogart, what are you supposed to do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As well as Walter Houston. I mean, they really, they steal the show really. And, and he's just kind of the middleman. <laughs> but... There, there's no sign of that before or since that he's kind of conflicted in this way, like greed is consuming him or he'll let another man die. Exactly. And it's also very early in there. They've just found this land that's that's rich with gold. Mm -hmm. Rich with gold. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's literally very early on, they've just dug this mine. And already he's th he's thinking like okay like already I can keep more of the share but you haven't you haven't even dug that much gold yet <laughs> yeah like you still need the third person to help out <laughs> and I can understand later he's like well we're gonna split the let's split the gold three ways and then but Humphrey Bogart argues like I've been doing more digging than you guys have like do I deserve a little bit more or something you know well no and that's the that thing point. it's like Dobbs is always like trying to sneak his way out of the situation he's always trying to get more of his share and so it's like initially in those scenes when they make an agreement and he puts forward more money it's like again that's at his most noble but again as thing as again the gold becomes a reality and the mining becomes arduous task you know he gets more and more greedy and tries to figure out even towards the end when again like howard's kind of out of the picture um and it's just the two of them dobbs is still kind of like the crazy person he's the one kind of still driving everything and he's the one who's the most morally conflicted or morally compromised, I should say. Yeah, yeah, not conflicted. <laughs> yeah, I mean. compromised. Because when, when the interloper shows up, who wants a cut, you know, he's like, we should just kill him. We should just kill him and throw him <laughs> off. It'll, we'll call it an accident. Yeah. And, yeah, they have this little vote, like, <laughs> should we should we just off him or <laughs> to protect our mine? Or <laughs> should we kind of introduce him and cut, cut, him into the, cut him into our deal? Yeah. I will say that is the highlight of the movie, is this uh, soliloquy that... <laughs> <laughs> that Humphrey Bogart has at the end where he's like, yes, uh, he, he believes that he's killed Curtin mm -hmm. um, when it's just the two of them dragging these burrows all the way back down to civilization, you know, worried about bandits and all the all this other, like, natural threats surrounding them. Mm -hmm. And he believes he's killed Curtin. He's like, a, a buried... Uh, no, he's, he's dragged away. He won't come back. He won't say anything. Or maybe he will. I... <laughs> So I I will admit you know in spite of in spite of my lukewarm you know impression of the movie that that I do find is 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 its high point is um just seeing Humphrey Bogart like descend into madness <laughs> exactly because again where what are we used to seeing him in we're used to seeing him in a fedora as a you know detective or something like a very big yeah. sleep very Casablanca and here he's just a crazy person <laughs> he's just mm -hmm. out of his mind and it's, yeah. he's just relishing it and he's having so much fun <laughs> well I don't know about fun. <laughs> 
<laughs> I will. I he think was drunk fun... the whole time. Come on, it's Humphrey. This he's, he's having a good time. This is time. true. <laughs> oh, they won't find him. Dig a hole for him first thing in the morning. This fire don't, don't get much heat. Conscience. What a thing. If you believe you got a conscience, it'll pester you to death. But if you don't believe you got one, what can it do to you? Makes me sick, all this talking and fussing about nonsense. It's true, and I, I, but that does kind of point to the fundamental flaw of the movie, in that these, in spite of so much sympathy and and how invest you in their journey, I just found these guys to be three dipshits <laughs> who are just greedy and can, oh. can kind of make heads and tails of their not lives. Not Howard, not Howard, not Howard. No, I, I, well, he's the voice of reason and experience. Exactly, and I love yeah. the earlier scenes where they're obviously trekking across the desert doing this long expedition and howard's mm-hmm. the one out front you know full of energy full of life and the other ones yeah. are like dragging behind him like holy crap this old man's got legs for days <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i love those early scenes i don't really like where his story goes where he be- eventually becomes like a medicine man to a bunch of indians but they're yeah, not really so... indians because they're catholic i don't know it was confusing. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they're they're native Mexicans, uh, indigenous people to the land, and yeah, I've, initially I like that because it, it's like we we were torn away from just the the simple the simple plot line where we're just trying to get gold, mm-hmm. and I like that initially because yeah, they uh, these indigenous people come over cover or come across their little caravan of, of burros, <laughs> caravan of donkeys, and they said like please help our son like um he's he's almost drowned he's he's not conscious can you help him. Mm-hmm. And they they do recruit Walter Houston's character to help out, and he does he does cure him, and it starts being treated like a king. Exactly. Um, however, They're like feeding like, him mangoes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Like a, a women are fanning him. <laughs> he's 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 uh, in a hammock by this oasis out in the mm-hmm. desert. <laughs> but I found that the only reason for that scene was to separate him from Curtin and Dobbs. Yeah. So that then they can have their conflict again. It's like it's like mechanical. It's kind of we need to hit this point to hit this point to hit this point, and there's just not enough like kind of creativity or texture to the rest of the story to really bring it to life. I mean, I I can forgive that because again, they're telling a very simple morality tale. Uh, spoiler alert: the theme is greed is bad. So yeah. <laughs> I don't mind the movie kind of working its way to that point, or at least doing it in a very kind of straightforward way. Because again, what we're here to see is the performances, and all the performances are great. The one I also wanted to kind of get to was the banditos, and oh yeah, I, the other interesting thing about the Indians showing up is the fact that again these guys are all very paranoid. They're all very scared of anyone who kind of comes across their trek. Um, well, the, but the indigenous people are timid as well. Exactly. Again, because this is the wilderness, and you know the banditos have kind of made it their own little kind of like stomping grounds. And but it's fun when the banditos show up. You know they pretend to be federales. They pretend to be like, no, no, <laughs> we're on your side. Why don't you just give us yeah. your guns and whatever cash you have on here, and then we'll be on our way. And again, I like yeah, they're hiding. Their their story is that they're not actually looking for gold. They're just they're just humble hunters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we just have pelts. <laughs> 
But yeah, we'll take your uh, pelts and your hides here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we'll just be on our way. And then they yeah. like show us your badges. Badges? We don't need. And again, it gets really defensive. We don't need no badges. And which, I, I, again, it's a it's a fine line or whatever. I don't know why it's had this all this cultural cachet since then. <laughs> I think it's the performance. Okay. I mean, uh, like, and that's the thing I wanted to ask you: Does it come off as a little caricaturish? Because obviously he's a Mexican, and he's he's giving you that kind of accent, like Speedy Gonzalez. <laughs> I know you're giving him that. Kind of <laughs> you're doing that. I, I'm I just a spot-on impressionist. I can't help it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I thought it was a I thought it was a fine performance. Uh, not exactly not not delving into stereotypes really. No, uh, because they shot on location in Mexico, so I did think they they made a conscious effort to not portray every Mexican character as, I don't know, Speedy Gonzalez or a stereotype. Like, they try to give them some characterization and some individuality. Yeah, exactly. And no, it's like, and also, seeing how woke this is, who's the first person we're introduced to? A poor, lazy, homeless American in Mexico. (laughs) You know, it's like the reverse of what, you know, conservatives view, um, you know, the situation as of now, so. Oiga, señor, we are federales, you know, the mountain police. If you're the police, where are your badges? Badges? We ain't got no badges. We don't need no badges. I don't have to show you any stinking badges. Better not come any closer. No sea tonto, hombre. We didn't try to do you any harm. Why don't you try to be a little more polite? Because you're gone, and we leave you in peace. I need my gun myself. Oh, throw that old light on over here. We'll pick it up and go Norway. You go anyway without my gun and go quick. All right. All right. I will say, you said the focus was on these three characters. I was a little disappointed because you, you can stage this as a play, I think. Oh, absolutely. A lot of yeah. a majority of it is centered just at their mine and their campsite. Out mm-hmm. in the woods and there's not too much Southern action. Mexico. It's a lot of dialogue. No, it's yeah. a lot of kind of terse exchanges. Exactly. So I think that was my disappointment when I do think of a Western, like I want these gorgeous vistas. I want brilliant production design. Which you and, do uh, kind of get a little bit. You do. Yes. This was filmed on location in Mexico. However, I don't think they used it to its fullest potential mm. because we are kind of centered just in the woods yeah, um, or on a mountainside. And yeah, we don't get, we don't really use the, I don't think the, even the city of Tampico, like the architecture does look beautiful. However, I don't think it's brought to its kind of fullest extent. Yeah. Well, so I was a little disappointed there too. If if you do seek a western, for its you know to take advantage of the geography, like this movie doesn't quite do that. Mm-hmm. I guess. Well, and the other interesting thing was I kept wondering like this is based on a novel. Was the novel? Did the novel take place in Mexico? Because I believe the, it did. Yeah. This, yeah. Because this was they, they, not semi, it's not not autobiographical, but it was from a, a guy named Beat Travern. Travern. Uh, <laughs> tra, uh, Traven. Beat Traven. Okay. Is the author's name and. Yeah, he was, he had a reputation of just being a hermit down in Mexico. Okay, well, I mean, for some reason, like, I kept thinking, like, this could take place anywhere in South America, really, because you have these, like, they traverse so many, like, different uh, biomes. Like, they go through the desert and all of a sudden <laughs> the jungle, and they keep worrying about tigers. I'm like, there's no tigers in Mexico, is there? <laughs> I mean, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an idiot, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure there's no tigers. Well, they do have jaguars so maybe it's a maybe it's just a different maybe it's just the nomenclature at the time i don't know exactly they didn't they didn't have kratz creatures at the time they didn't they didn't (laughs) know about they didn't know about zoology maybe they're on the cusp of like guatemala or something like maybe they're really really far uh, far south of mexico who knows so i I didn't bother to look up where tampico is exactly in mexico so (laughs) i mean it's also kind of 
I was a little hesitant to use it as a, you know, for a Western month, because again, it doesn't really feel like a traditional Western. And also, time-wise, like, when does this movie kind of take place? Because in the early scenes, you see cars in the background, which you would yeah, never that see I, in a Western. <laughs> no, <laughs> heaven forbid. <laughs> no, <laughs> that I didn't look up either. I mean, it could be contemporary to 1948. It could take place at the turn of the century. Obviously, it can't take place back in the, in the late 1800s, but... yeah. Again, because of the kind of frontier spirit, it does feel like a, it belongs in the Western genre. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And again, the gold rush was very late 1800s, so it could have potentially yeah. taken place during then. Who knows? But yeah, yeah. But Even I still mid, think it's. Yeah. I still think it's a very good movie. Okay. I mean, yeah, I, I I think it's fine. Again, but we've kind of elevated it to I believe it was like number 36 on AFI's top 100 American movies. Uh, <laughs> Like, I, don't, I don't know if it kind of reaches those heights, but in terms of just being a solid morality play, like, mm-hmm. again, A-plus job. Well, A-B-plus a, job. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's the thing. It's like, looking back on it when this movie came out, it was probably like, oh, like, revolutionary. Again, yeah. given the fact that it kind of defies all these Western tropes. Yeah, seeing and, Humphrey Bogart in a different mode than, exactly. say, Sam, Sam at his club, you know. Mm-hmm. But again, Sam, it, whatever's, yeah, whatever's Sam Spade. Or, yeah, <laughs> getting down to that, you know, very basics of storytelling, this is a simple morality play. Just like another famous Humphrey Bogart film, The Maltese Falcon. And again... Oh, it, yeah, also it, directed by John Huston. Yeah, and again, it ends in a very same way. It's like everyone kind of gets their comeuffins, and it turns out the treasure... Oh, well, it's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you did all this work for nothing. Yep. And you and destroyed greed, your greed soul does in the not process. pay. No, it does not. Yeah, unless you look at the world and... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> unless you're Donald Trump, then... Yeah. And, and the, the world is your other. oyster, because there is no justice in this vast, mm. empty universe. Yeah. <laughs> say even if you don't see the movie even if even if you listener aren't inclined to see treasure of the sierra madre Mm -hmm. do look at its trivia page on imdb (laughs) because it is a roller coaster (laughs) we should tell people this because some people don't realize this the imdb trivia page actually works more like wikipedia or anyone can Mm kind of edit it so instead of like editing or deleting facts they kind of contradict them <laughs> yeah well that's this is the first uh, you and i visit every trivia page for every movie we see on imdb mm-hmm. to get much. fun little tidbits for you our audience yes and there's one contradiction they uh, there's a there's a scene where wind is blowing like uh they're out they're out in this plane and the wind is whipping them across and, and blowing sand in their face and they said it was generated by jet engines from the mexican air force but then two items later, there's a contradiction to that saying, well, actually, <laughs> the Mexican Air Force didn't get jet engines until 1961, and this movie was produced in 1947, so it's highly unlikely that 
<laughs> instead, of, so instead of just deleting that uh, erroneous fact, probably they they have a contradiction. There's also um, this fact I like. Uh, Humphrey Bogart started losing his hair in 1947, partly because of hormone shots he was taking to improve his chances of having a baby with uh, his wife Lauren Bacall. Hmm. Um, in parentheses, although his excessive drinking and lack of vitamin B were probably also <laughs> factors in his hair loss. So there's, here's a little item. Humphrey Bogart gave himself scurvy, essentially. <laughs> And then here's my um, here's my favorite fact. Again, it it it, it probably was written uh, well before this. Probably at the at the start of uh, IMDb back in 1995 or whatever. But um, the little boy who sells Dobbs, Humphrey Bogart, his uh, portion of the winning lottery ticket is played by Robert Blake of Little Rascals and Beretta fame, and that's all that he's famous for now. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I did not realize that. Holy shit! Yeah. I didn't get I didn't get all the way through the trivia because it was like it was paragraphs like trivia should be like tweets okay I don't want to read 100 more than 140 characters of your little factoids okay I don't want to hear a big like a long speech like John Houston when he cast his father yeah cast your mind back to 1939 when this movie was first in development yes let me spin you a tale in the IMDb <laughs> trivia page <laughs> Look, I have a, I'm not saying I have a screenplay about the making of The Treasure of Sierra Madre, but let me tell you. <laughs> oh, oh, John, that is straight to the top of the blacklist. <laughs> Oscar bait sold. <laughs> it is a little uh, funny that we ended up watching The African Queen before we watched this one, because it's like, this one, reputation-wise, is way better than that one. Oh, but yeah. Well, I, honestly, I Af- probably... The African Queen was free on Netflix, so... I, I enjoyed The African Queen a little bit more, I gotta be honest. What? I did. I mean, it's more fun. You're out That's of your the mind. thing. More fun there. This is better art, but the African Queen is like, you know, you get Catherine Hepburn <laughs> doing classic Catherine Hepburn things. You old poop. More problematic, I say. <laughs> That's setting in Africa with missionaries. I mean, colonialism much? <laughs> well, no, and the Africans are, like, John Houston's very woke. Did not settle on any stereotypes or caricatures when it came to this non-white characters. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I, I, it, and it's funny doing this podcast, because, again, John Houston was not a name in my head at all and he's probably the director we've revisited the most for this podcast not a name in your john i didn't i didn't know who he was i really didn't well probably he's most famous he was also an actor and he's probably most famous for playing uh, uh the uh the evil uh waterman in uh, chinatown oh, oh man i can't remember his uh, name yes. yeah but i do remember mr gitz yeah <laughs> you know what happens to nosy people oh noah cross yeah he's most famous for playing uh noah cross in chinatown wait i thought that was roman Polanski who played that the guy no, who cuts his nose? Yeah, that's the guy who cuts his nose. I'm talking about the, the old uh, water baron oh. who calls him Mr. Gitz. Oh. I'm, I'm I swinging to... my hips and, and knocking my head back, you know. I need to, I need to watch that again. It's been so Absolutely. long. Yeah. And now that he's been kicked out of the... <laughs> and no better time to revisit Chinatown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was just kicked out of the academy this week. He was just kicked as, as, alongside Bill Cosby. <laughs> Were they just waiting for an excuse? They were like, all right, we got one serial rapist. We need to <laughs> well, <yeah. as> well <laughs> do double duty. Exactly. It's deflecting attention off both of them. Okay. They're being equal opportunity, I think. One, they waited until he was found guilty in the court of law. The other, you know, when he's been guilty in the court of public opinion for so long. Okay. <laughs> well, it's funny. It's like, I didn't even know Bill Cosby was in the Academy. It's like, really? What Academy Award-winning performances he turned in? They Leonard Part they Six. Invite, they, they invite stalwarts. Okay, he <laughs> he was an important part of the entertainment industry at a time um, before he just started yelling at black young black men for pulling up their pants or something. <laughs> oh, and that's the other thing. Does the Academy need less black uh, members? Come on. <laughs> no, they just need less serial rapists. Okay, that's just, that, that supersedes that. <laughs> Fair enough. 
Well, they kicked out they kicked out Harvey Weinstein in like two point five. They didn't wait for the ink to dry on that like no. restraining order. <laughs> no, that that was a little different, huh? <laughs> but a little more toxic. <laughs> I'm not defending any of these people. They're all monsters. No, oh, I'm no, just no, saying, no. you know, the the big institutions are like, oh, well, we won't stand for this. That's what's embarrassing. That's what's you know problematic in my mind. <laughs> yeah, we should just do away with the academy. Or, I mean. If they do want to invite new people, John, it sounds like there are two openings now Ooh. in the Academy. Hello. You know? <laughs> I mean, I'll take it for just the screeners, okay? I can oh, say whatever you too. want, okay? I, Tanya? Sure, why not? <laughs> I'll do it so that I can put in votes for Hirokazu Kureda and the Dardan brothers. <laughs> My weird little taste. <laughs> You're just gonna I found vote. this 70-minute movie at the at the Telluride Film Festival. I think it's one of the best pictures of the year. <laughs> uh, Greg's just going to vote for best foreign film every time, and like everything yeah. else, he'll just be like, whatever, yes. who cares? Trite. Boring. Trite. Exactly. Boring American taste. Boorish. <laughs> Glitz and glamour. Puff. Beneath me. Mm-hmm. Yep. I made it for the art. Yep. Speaking of boorish American taste, John. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> We're getting into it. And what What is it, John? What are we getting into? Well, I think it's time we segue... Into our big, beautiful spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Since we're talking about boorish American films, after all. Big Hollywood products. Mm. We need a big spotlight for it. Exactly. We went to the theaters and saw Overboard, the remake of the classic (laughs) 1980s romantic comedy. And let me tell you, they've improved it for the new Me Too movement. (laughs) Also, he's Mexican, so woke much? I think so. (laughs) Yes. Inclusivity win, hashtag Hispanic yes. I don't. I'm making up great, great hashtags here, guys. <laughs> no, yeah. No, of course we saw Infinity War. Even though you're hearing this two weeks late, and you already know what happened. Uh, we're always the final word on these things. Okay. Yep. And John, people want to know what we think. Of course. You and know, I think everyone died. <laughs> Everyone's dead. It's over. Forget it. <laughs> this is the last Marvel movie. It's it's turned to dust. It's over. <laughs> Spoiler alert, by the way. <laughs> um, okay, so there's lots of great like hero shots in this movie, and you know, obviously, mm-hmm. I saw it with a full crowd because I saw it when oh, yeah. it came out, and so you know, lots of clapping and lots of hoots and hollerings. There was one guy in the audience who said "damn" like at least thirty times. Uh, <laughs> was that Devin Faraci? <laughs> no, no. Uh, I won't tell you his race, but I'll give you a sp- hint. He wasn't Vietnamese. Okay, so. Uh, <laughs> But yes, it was like a raucous crowd. Everyone was cheering when Captain America showed up. And then mm-hmm. you hit the ending, and it's just dead silence. And I was like, this is the greatest movie-watching experience I've ever had. <laughs> Great. I gotta say, I saw it at a, a dine-in theater, so I, I wouldn't say a crowd full of like Marvel Marvel adherents or fanboys or something like that. Oh, okay. Classy sophisticates. Adults. Exactly. But yes, it, it has a very grim ending. Mm-hmm. And just cut to black black screen and, and white text on for credits. Uh, yeah. Which again, breaking with Marvel tradition, usually they have a splashy, you know, final credit sequence. Mm-hmm. And then uh, some brilliant uh, an usher who uh, <laughs> I hope is fired soon because um, John she had some sass. She she wasn't gonna take this line down. And uh, you know when the credit when the mournful music you know cropped up, she went woo. <laughs> um, because she had attitude. I don't know if you knew that. So was was it meant to be sarcastic? Yes, it was. Okay. I mean, yeah. look, she's an usher. It's probably like the sixth time she's seen it. Okay, she needs to like pep up her day a little bit. Come on. Yeah. But John, this is what Twitter's for. Yeah. <laughs> Take out all your sarcasm and your negative energy there. 
But, I mean, we, we've already started talking about the ending. What about the film overall, Greg? What did you think? I know, yeah. I, I thought it was fine. Again, like all these other Avengers movies, like they're, they're good popcorn fare, well-balanced, even though we've got about, I don't know, 40 stars in the movie. See, but that's like, and that's why I loved it. I was like, the holy <laughs> shit, the number of things that they had to cram into this movie and how well-balanced it all is, and it never feels overstuffed and everyone gets a nice little character moment. It's like the Russo brothers are like the greatest directors of all time. Nice. <laughs> That that'll push back on because yes, it's not a mess. I won't say I won't say it's like, a, and it, they did an exemplary job of you know giving characters every moment because if they, if there's a star of the film, it's Thor because he's the one yes. that has the, the the clearest motivation. The movie mm-hmm. starts with um our first character death to show you where it's going. <laughs> <laughs> when our villain Thanos uh kills Loki, he strangles him to death. Yeah, so because that, that, he had the stone and it sets up. Many an instance where a character has to choose whether they give Thanos the stone or he watches him kill somebody. So that's yeah, a so very good theme. from those. Every single every single plot point kind of reaches to an end point like that. Yeah, so very good set pieces, but he's the only one that has a like a quiet character moment. Mm-hmm. At one point, he's on a ship with Rocket Raccoon, and he just explains, <laughs> you know, what I have to what I have to also lose. like how amazing this movie is. You know, he has a nice quiet somber moment with a talking raccoon. <laughs> exactly. I so again, these movies are fine. I also can't square kind of how juvenile they are <laughs> because I'm trying to. Yeah, it, it it's it's particularly when Thor meets the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. We should explain that the way that a movie balances is with all these uh, disparate storylines. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, it basically becomes a Game of Thrones. Like we're following all these different plot lines. Everyone kind of gets paired off. Uh, Vision yeah. and uh, Scarlet Witch end up with Captain America and all his friends, and then Thor ends up with Guardians of the Galaxy and Doctor Strange, Spider Man, and Iron Man all kind of end up together, uh, st- like kind of marooned on this ship. And it, it it juggles it all very well. And again, you get this nice kind of character interplay. I think it does. Yeah. Like all Marvel movies, it gets a little too jokey at times. It's like they're trying yeah, the, to squeeze the in jokes forced. whenever they can to like remember this is fun, and it's like no, yeah. no, it's okay, it's okay. Let a moment. I, land. I probably missed. Yeah, I probably missed half of them. Mm-hmm. And I will say, whatever jokes they were, and I know there was one that just died. <laughs> I think it was Chris Pratt saying something, and not a single laugh in the theater. <laughs> well, my favorite actually comes from Chris Pratt because again, mm-hmm. it's very subtle. And again, they're like it's when Chris Pratt meets up with Spider-Man, and you know they're obviously they share an affinity for '80s culture. And <laughs> Chris Pratt's wondering, is Footloose still like the greatest movie of all time? And Spider-Man says it was never the greatest movie of all time. And again, it's like there's a beat that you could tell that they wanted to fit in one more joke, but instead it's just Chris Pratt's face of disappointment. <laughs> I'm like, all right, sweet, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, but speaking to kind of the the weaknesses of the movie, I think. I think it, it it has a hard time like kind of bringing those characters together because the way that Spider-Man gets on the ship, yeah, and he's then he he's kind of like ambivalent to it. Um, like the the point of his character is to be like dazzled and and very naive about everything, and yet he's just now I'm on a spaceship. Cool. Um, <laughs> well, you also have to understand this is a universe where they know aliens exist. So yeah, I guess that's this is the second time New York's been attacked by aliens. So yeah, he should be blase. Yeah, yeah. but. The way that they meet up with the Guardians of the Galaxy, or at least some of the Guardians of the Galaxy, is that they just attack the ship, sort of thinking that Thanos or one of his minions is on it. Mm-hmm. I will say that's kind of the weakest aspect of the story, these sub-villains. Um, Ebony, I, I wasn't particularly Everyone's favorite, by though, them. gets the most screen time, which is Ebony Maw, 
who is the I, basically I is. string bean emperor palpatine you know he's got <laughs> powers and um you know he's the he's the very eloquent one he's, very he's yeah he's the most and, erudite and uh histrionic of them yes i will say that and give me some credit yes i remember his name is ebony maw thank you thank you <laughs> they all have really stupid names if you actually look them up the lady one was called proxima midnight or something like that they're all really dumb <laughs> It's like what are these Jaegers from fucking Pacific Rim? <laughs> yeah, I, again, I couldn't, I couldn't quite square. Like this is really like I, I'm embarrassed as a 30 year old male <laughs> watching this. But that's what makes the ending so awesome. Is that guy? It's like, hey, you just watched like laser beams and you know pew pew lasers. It's like, hey, guess what? Everyone's dead now. Good job. Yeah, the analogy I was thinking of like Marvel felt like a parent that was leading you to like the scary end of the playground. <laughs> oh, okay. Like, I don't know, the playground where we grew up, there was a part that was shaded by trees, and I didn't like going over there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what the movie felt like. Like, oh, we're going to go into some dark territory here, but it's still the playground. Like, you're fine. Yeah, exactly. And then with the ending, it's like, oh, now you're in Aleppo. <laughs> <laughs> the rapture just happened, guys. Avengers Leftovers is next. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Avengers. Yeah. Get, hope, you're enjoy- hope you're anticipating Ant-Man now. <laughs> I will say, yes, so the movie ends on a cliffhanger. We should say the villain's plan is to literally have all life forms, to literally eliminate half of all life in the universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so his his idea is he's going to get the Infinity Gauntlet and use it to kill half the universe so they don't run out of resources. Now, yeah. obviously, people pointed out, if you have godlike abilities, why don't you just make more resources, not kill people? <laughs> but okay, fine, movie dumb stuff my face with popcorn let's go <laughs> well it's because it's because he's a bad guy john yeah, of course he's a bad even guy. though and i think marvel movies are improving on this he obviously doesn't view himself that way and there are moments that do allow you to see things from his perspective or you know get some sentimentality out of him um he does explain that he's not going to discriminate though no and that's true in, yeah. in his plan to you know like he, he's not a monster he's not just it, the villain would be worse if he was just like i'm gonna cut off all of like uh humanity mm-hmm. on earth because earth is a bad planet <laughs> i don't like it which yeah, exactly. would offend me as a human as somebody who lives on earth i would be offended by that <laughs> of course or worse <laughs> white people <laughs> yeah and then they do set up again this movie's very good at setting up their little set pieces yeah and there is one where he has to get a stone but he has to sacrifice something that he loves and he's with his daughter gamora and I thought the scene was just going to end with him, you know, flippantly tossing her off this cliff and getting the stone that way. However, it does ring out this emotion like, oh, no, I'm going to have to sacrifice his daughter. And he does shed some tears. Well, no, and it's it's and Gamora thinks the same way. That's what I loved about that scene, too, is like Gamora like laughs in his face because she's like, you don't love anything. How could you sacrifice anything you love? And it's like he admits that he actually does genuinely love her. Josh Brolin's great in this movie. Given the fact oh, yeah. that he's under like nine million pounds of CGI, he still turns in a great performance. Yeah, I mean, it's truly, it's it's emotional. Like again, you kind of you do have some sympathy for this villain, even though he's a monster. And mm-hmm. again, never thought to why don't I just make more resources then? <laughs> well, and like spoiler alert, he succeeds. Yeah. I mean, what did you expect? Like, you know, we're talking about this godlike powers. You think he's not going to get every Infinity Stone? Of course. Well, that, that, well, yeah, that's the thing though, is he accomplishes his mission now what yeah so i you know you and i are savvy moviegoers like we can anticipate a a cliffhanger ending we know there's going to be another movie next summer mm-hmm. to kind of wrap everything up however 
again, poor kids, they're not going to see this coming or understanding it. They're just going to see their, their favorite heroes turn to ash. <laughs> exactly. They're going to see Spider-Man yeah. cry in Tony Stark's arms as he disappears, saying, I yeah. don't want to go, I don't want to go. That that yeah. actually really hit me hard. <laughs> yeah. Because everyone else just kind of, like, disappears. But, like, Spider-Man's the only one who's, like, visibly scared. Because, again, he's, yeah. he's young. He's a kid. And he doesn't know what's happening. Yeah, I was also going to say, the one that also hit me was, um, I want to get the actress's name right, um, Nanny Guerrera. Oh, um, yeah, with Black yeah, Panther. Who plays, yeah, the, the, who plays the Black Panther's lead general. Mm-hmm. Um, Black Panther starts to disappear, and she and you could register like his face, on her face, like what exactly is happening. Like, that's, again, very few of these movies actually pack an emotional punch. Um, mm-hmm. However, in these two moments, it, it does, you know, give a little peek. I will, I will give it credit for that. Yeah. But, again, like, It'll be interesting to see after the next one comes out and where they resolve it. Because I'm not interested. You're not <laughs> because here's the thing. Like let's let's look at this in context of other cliffhangers. There there's somewhere to go, and but Thanos has already accomplished his mission. Like now what? Well, they need to like, revive they needed, everybody. They needed, duh. This, <laughs> no, they needed a stinger. They needed like Iron Man to say like I'm gonna go try to reverse it because that's obviously what's gonna happen. They're just gonna you know. No. I. I Get no. the, with the Infinity Gauntlet, I say, let's go back, you know, two weeks, and then <laughs> all will be settled. <laughs> no, no, I liked it. I liked it a lot, the way it ends. Because, again, it just ends on Thanos. He watches the sunset, and he's semi-pleased with himself. It's a I nice, know, but quiet, contemplative like moment. And, again, a movie that everyone's been clapping, like, hooting and hollering, like, woo, there's Captain America! To end on such a somber note, I thought it was so... Uh, lack of a better word, brave. <laughs> brave. <laughs> These Marvel movies are so brave. They're innovators, okay, guys? <laughs> What I wanted after that was like a, a call to action, or some, or somewhere where I knew the story was going. Like let's let's compare this to The Empire Strikes Back, which also has a very similar downer ending. Mm-hmm. At least there, there's there's a moment where Luke and Darth Vader talk telepathically, mm-hmm. and he admits like, "Yeah, you're my dad," and you kind of have the sense like, "How will he confront?" Like obviously we have to destroy this malevolent force in the universe, but how am I going to do it when it's my father? Mm. So that's that's kind of what I wanted, like. Thanos has already accomplished his goal. Like now he's just sitting there. Like we don't know what else like he's gonna do. Whereas like let's say if he was on a position of power or on a throne or something like that, or like Tony Stark says, I'm gonna do this myself, even even though my suit's destroyed or something. You know, I wanted, I wanted like some sign that the, that things are moving forward, and instead it just ends on the, on the devastation <laughs> and the dourness, and that that kind of left me feeling you know cold. Mm. Although I did see on a website there, there's a random number generator where you could see. Oh yes, I died. Were... I died. I was spared. Oh, yes. see, Thanos <laughs> killed me, and I, I tearfully hugged you and said, "I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go." And I'd be like, ah, "Eat it, bitch." <laughs> <laughs> now all resources for me. <laughs> and and the and the rest of the universe prospered. <laughs> yep. I'm gonna go to the nearest mine and get gold. Gold. <laughs> <laughs> I I really liked it. Again, like movie movie criticism sadly too much these days is like consumer advice but if i yeah. have to give consumer advice you're getting your most bang for your buck out of this movie because just in terms of volume of movie you're getting is just exceptional yeah, and the other thing i was thinking about is like the other recent trends of like part one part two and how they tend to like split up these books like hunger games and harry potter into like two mm-hmm. movies and the first part is so boring and so inconsequential <laughs> and then you have this movie which is like a laser light show and there's so much yeah. packed into it like i just have to give it so much credit just based on that kind of context yeah i've it, i have my reservations like again i thought it i thought for one thing for an avengers movie it did require more knowledge like going in mm-hmm 
like you really needed to know the characters to sort of understand their motivation. There's a lot of information that you may not know if you didn't see, let's say, Avengers Age of Ultron, or even the original Avengers. Like, you can just go into that movie and have a great time. That is true. Uh, here, you need to do your homework. So yeah, absolutely. That I, that I didn't appreciate, but so, <laughs> as somebody who doesn't want to do their Marvel homework, <laughs> I'd rather see Dardan Brothers movies. Anyway. <laughs> see, and maybe that's the thing, because I've seen way more Marvel movies than you have, so I was like... Yeah on gung-ho for the whole thing i know yeah, i know but same with these kind of like later avengers movies and particular captain america civil war they are balancing too much and yeah it just kind of left me like impressionless at the end like i just walked out of the theaters like oh that was that was a good use of like two and a half hours like but now i move on to the rest of my day and now i've forgotten about it mm. other than that ending which did have those those little peaks of emotional moments uh, again, it felt like the first time like something was really ventured in a Marvel movie, and it did make that impression. Um, well, I know. And that's... I, I just wish it wasn't so um, dour. And well, ugly. no, and that's <laughs> the thing. It's like everyone's like, you know, it was it was an exciting ending, but we also know it means nothing. Because, again, there's another Spider-Man movie on the docket. We know they're yeah. going to make there's a There's another Guardians sequel. of the Galaxy movie, yeah. Yeah, exactly. We know that they're going to eventually... And, again, this happens in comic books all the time. A character dies in order to sell yeah. more books, and then they'll bring them back like less than a year later, like mm. or they'll just reset his characters. Oh, exactly. Or they'll reset the whole universe. They'll be like, yeah. oh, we went back in time six months and we've solved everything. Yeah. But you know what? Like in the moment, again, like if we're just thinking about it presently, if we're thinking about it like a Buddhist, like <laughs> again, it still works. Like everyone still loves Empire Strikes Back, even though we know that Return of the Jedi is coming next. And I think as a movie, again, just... Well, that's because it sets it, it establishes a better cliffhanger ending, whereas I, I didn't appreciate it for this, as much this one. I do appreciate that they were willing to risk, or the risk in, in giant sarcastic air quotes, <laughs> the deaths of these major characters. However, I, it is tinged by the knowledge that, yes, there is going to be a reset. This is essentially a cinematic TV show, and they always have to go back to zero, so... But in, sp in spite of that, you're right. It is solid entertainment, like great set pieces, a few good character moments, although I do wish there were there were more of them. I think the Black Panther has about four lines in this movie. Well, he just got his own movie, so what do you expect? I, but it was good. It was a good movie, and he deserves better. What I'm saying is Marvel is racist. Racist against aliens. Yeah. That's the thing I can never square. Like, that's the thing also I can never square with. But again, this is just nitpicky. Why do all aliens speak English? <laughs> and I it's think the, the official reason... language of the universe, John. It's the official language of business and the universe. Well, no, and that's the thing that bothers me is like we end up uh, uh, the finale ends up happening in Wakanda, and obviously mm -hmm. they have their own language, and we get uh, a few moments where they're speaking their own language. But then we have all these aliens show up, and they're like, "Ah, we're gonna get you!" And I'm like, "Why do the aliens speak English?" <laughs> I think that's what bugs me. It's like if yeah. it were just Guardians of the Galaxy, it's like, "Oh, they all speak English. That's fine." Um, but since we're like accepting that there's so many cultures on earth and then but all the aliens speak english i don't know it was just a bridge too far for me in my stupid nitpicky brain <laughs> <laughs> well if you got to complain about something i would complain about uh the romance quote unquote <laughs> again giant sarcastic air quotes excuse me <laughs> between scarlet witch and vision what <laughs> or Viz, you, you have it. a no you just can't enjoy this movie because you have a black heart and that's your problem i <laughs> Exactly, that's been blackened by real movies <laughs> that portray the, the sadness of reality and, and everyday life. This movie tries to simulate it. It's a simulacra of that. Uh, yeah, and it's awesome, okay? <laughs> I know this steak is fake, but it's delicious. I know, exactly. John, you need a red pill. <laughs>
And John, I'll tell people how they can get their red pill. How? It's through following social media accounts. Oh, okay. Boom. Don't believe the fake news of the other social media <laughs> accounts. Follow ours. Yes. And get and cut straight to the truth. Get a get a good lean cut of the truth. <laughs> Follow us on our incel page on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> That's not fair. You're married. You're you're you've you've blue pilled. You're you're living in the simulation. You're loving it. I'm not married yet. Okay. Also, I'm gay, so it's also that. There's still toxic masculinity, but it's fabulous. It's like uh, drag queens. Like, (laughs) oh, you. I'm glad you want to celebrate your inner femininity, but your inner femininity appears to be an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, (laughs) cur. Anyway, where were we? Oh yeah, social media. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's what we were talking about. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yes, we have a Facebook page and a Twitter page. So why don't you follow us on there and give us a like, and you'll be uh, privy to all the news and updates that we provide for you on those sites. Yes. And we don't have a Patreon page, unlike the Farachi. <laughs> no, because we're true Buddhists. We're true Buddhists, and we learn to live without. Yeah, we learn to live with less. And But one thing we do need is five-star reviews on whatever podcast platform you're using, mm-hmm. whether it be Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Player FM, Podbeam. Yes. We're on all of them, and we need all the reviews, all the good positive reviews in the world. And share it with your friends. Yeah. Or share it with your enemies if you don't like them. Exactly. Or if you don't like us, share them with your enemies. <laughs> if, you, if you don't like us, I don't blame you. <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> Greg, what are we watching next week? Well, in the event that people do want to come back, mm-hmm. be careful, partner. Oh, because uh, we got some uh, bad cowpokes coming into town. We got some desperados. Some people looking to take their revenge, and you and I are lone rangers. You and I are just uh, on our own in this town, and this meeting will take place at high noon. Mm. I was hoping Proxima midnight, but high noon <laughs> sounds good too. <laughs> No, yet another Western that I've seen before, and you haven't. Okay, Again, fine. Hi, <laughs> road me, why don't you? Yes, I will. I will condescend to you however I, however I please. <laughs> Greg, we're going to have a movie shootout. That's what we're going to do. Yep. And me, like Gary Cooper, I will prevail. Oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Oh, fuck. <laughs> I know, I ruined it. You bastard. <laughs> instead, instead, we're watching uh, How the West Was Won next week. <laughs> Ooh, can we watch A Million Ways to Die in the West? Uh, Seth? <laughs> no. Seth MacFarlane's hilarious. That's a hard no. Double no. Triple no. <laughs> God, so many movies to choose from. It's, just, it's a shame we only have a five-week month to squeeze it out. Exactly. But hopefully you'll stay tuned. So, thank you everybody for listening. And until next time, keep aspiring, partner. Yeehaw!